back, everybody. Uh, we're here on episode... Actually, you know what? I'm not even going to try and do like the episode numbers anymore, because each time that I've done it, the last two episodes, I've forgotten which number. Adam, which number are we on, man? It's either 7 or 42. I'm not really sure. I was going to say 69, but is that, is that terrible? Okay, nice. <laughs> but, all right, guys, welcome in. This is the Dynasty Manual Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Allen. You can find me on Twitter at ChrisAllenFFWX. And I'm joined, again, with my partner in crime, Adam Wildey. Adam, how you doing, man? Hey, how's everyone going? All right. Uh, I think I'm doing well. Jacob, now, I mean, our guest of, of this evening uh jacob uh he uh, works for is a writer over at dynasty happy hour and we're going to be talking about running back evaluations this evening uh jacob how you doing man thanks again for coming on hey thank you guys i'm doing very very good tonight just enjoying the uh warm weather we're having here in montana it's been really really nice summer summer has arrived Oh, lucky like, for you. I mean, I think yeah. uh, I'm over in Ohio, and we just started having consistent warm weather, I think, within the last it, – it's been about a week and a half or so since we've seen consistent, like, 60s and, you know, above. So I'm, I'm happy to say as well that, you know, spring is here with summer right around the way. So, yeah, I'm, I'm loving it, the fact that we can get outside now. Just hit 90 in Maryland today. Whoo! Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's nice. That's got to be quite nice. So – all right, gentlemen, so you know why we're here. The draft just happened this weekend, and before we get into really the nuts and bolts of why we uh, brought Jacob on this evening, I wanted to at least, you know, we're not going to get into every single pick and dive into, you know, the winners and losers of the draft, but I wanted real quickly just to uh, just to talk about, if I could get you guys' opinions on, uh, you know, some of the, the highlights of what you saw. So, uh, Jacob, how about you start us off, Ben? Can you tell us, uh, you know, one of the either – let's say, intriguing moments of the draft, your favorite pick, or just something that was memorable from over the weekend? So I was, for the first round, or day one and day two, actually, both, I was uh, waiting tables. I was serving at the time. So nice. I, work at a truck, I work at a truck stop diner, and there was a, a, a girl in there with her husband, who I assume was her husband anyways, he was wearing a Vikings hat, so I started talking to him because I'm a Vikings fan, so we got to talking a little bit. And the draft was about to come on, and, and I asked her you know, if she was interested, and she seemed really, really interested. Um, she was a big OU fan, so she, she was wondering where Baker Mayfield was going to go and what was going to happen with him. And as soon as that first pick got announced, she just, she's just like, no, no. It was like the one place she, she didn't want him to go, but – I kind of, I don't know. I, I honestly, I, I love that Baker Mayfield pick. He was one of my favorite. Same. Yeah. He was one of my favorite players coming into the draft. I love, um, I love his dual threat ability. Very, very solid passer. I just, I, I think the the Brown stigma is hard to kick, but um, yeah, I like that pick a lot. The Penny pick really got me excited too, as far as throwing a curveball and things. Yep. Yeah. So. My first one would be Darius Geis, but we'd have to make a whole nother podcast that's, that's for that. A, that's so. a biased pick, though, man. You can't, you can't take <sighs> yeah, it Yeah, yeah. Well, all right. Anyways, let's talk about Rashad Penny a little. Um, yeah, like Jacob, that was definitely a curveball. Um, I'll say I like the landing spot. Anytime that you can get anybody uh, at, in the backfield with Russell Wilson, it's got to be a plus. Um, kind of the Aaron Rodgers effect. I will say the minus – Unless they added someone late, I didn't notice any offensive linemen added by the Seahawks. Now you can correct me if I'm wrong, but they did. They did add someone. I want to say it was like a. I can't think of the name, and I want to say it was like a sixth round. Okay, so it was something... later. It was. It was one of those things. It was. A, it was a typical Seahawks move. I mean, yeah. they always. They, that's how they do it. They always. They they try to piece together and scrap together that offensive line with right. a bunch of a bunch of backups and try to make it work and they pay for it. So, I don't know. So, we're going to see a lot of more Doug Baldwin trying to scramble around while Russell Wilson does some crazy stuff in the backfield. Right. It sounds same like old, same so, old sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, that's my take on Rashad <laughs> Penny. Like Rashad Penny, I don't know if I like the Seahawks backfield this year. Yeah. I I'm 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 confused to say the least at the way the Seahawks entered the draft. I thought with the Giants, you know, taking Saquon, okay, I I didn't agree with the pick, but at least they upgraded their offensive line, and I'm sure we'll discuss him like later on in the show. So I guess 
it kind of makes up for the pick, kind of. You know, it's been, you know, using that much draft capital on a running back. But the Seahawks tried to do the same thing with taking a running back that, you know, in the first round, but then followed it up with nothing. So I, I don't, I'm, I guess I'm, <laughs> yeah. not, I'm not understanding. I mean, I've got the shirt to prove it. I mean, process over results, and I'm not understanding, <laughs> you know, Seattle's process here. So um, I would say, but for me personally, I think one of the, you know, one of my favorite moments out of the draft, uh, I would say it's one of two, and I guess they both revolve around this, the same team. Uh, I love the fact that I wouldn't say that I agreed with them trading up to it, but I did like seeing uh, Lamar Jackson go to Baltimore. Uh, I thought yep. that was, I thought it was at least a, a decent fit. I think it allows him to develop and, uh, you know, seeing him go to a team like that that already has RG3 in place kind of already makes it, you know, makes it seem like they're, you know, looking towards making an offensive shift in the future. So I like that. And then also same team, 238th overall, uh, Zach Seiler, if I'm saying his name correctly, Ozzie Newsom's last pick. I don't know if you guys saw uh, the video that they posted on Twitter, but it was just, you know, when he was talking to the kid, like afterwards, you know, telling him straight up, like, you know, you're my, you're my last pick, you know, you go make me proud, you know, that, that sort of thing. It's, it's one of those moments that you see in the draft that, you know, a lot of people take for granted, you know, some of these kids are getting picked into, you know, into NFL teams. And, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those moments where it's, you know, not necessarily to say historic, but it's important, you know, and I think it's, it's fun right. to watch and, you know, watch teams go through that. And for as long as Ozzy's been around the league, I would say that the, the Ravens have been not the best in the, not the best in the AFC, but I'd say that they've been a respectable franchise and, you know, it's good to see him go out like that. So I, I thought that was, I thought it was fun to watch. That's pretty, that's pretty cute and pretty soft. We didn't have any, we didn't have any Laramie Tunsil moments this year. So that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, nothing, nothing, nothing really to bring it home, but yeah, nothing yeah, like, you know, tack bringing out, you know, like with, when tack brought out the picture of his grandma or, you know, or, or nothing like, you know, there was nothing like that this year. So I thought it was kind of tame to be quite honest with you. I mean, I thought I was going to find out that Darius Geis murdered somebody with an hacksaw, but man, um, now I, I was, guess he just likes Fortnite. Uh, yeah, I mean, you play video games too much. But I mean, that seemed to work yeah. out fine for Juju Smith-Schuster. I mean, yeah, yeah tell me about it. He's playing video games all the time, but yet, you know, it didn't really seem to hurt his draft stock all too much. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, the league is, you know, the league is what it is. And, you know, we've got to protect the cocoon, as they say. So I'm sh- It'll be hopefully we'll you know we'll probably see some more fireworks in, in next year's draft. I thought it was you know entertaining to say to say in the least. All right, so with that out of the way, now let's get into why we brought you on here, Jacob. And so again, I mean we, we're happy again that you were able to take the time. But you know over at Dynasty Happy Hour, some of the writing and research that you do uh, with running backs, uh, can you kind of walk us through? I mean your process and, and you know give us an idea of what you do. So. I got started writing and doing dynasty research. I've always kind of had a knack for it, doing, you know, weekly reviews or rundowns for my leagues as I was growing up. Um, I started playing fantasy when I was young. So, but I got into writing uh, three years ago um, with Rich over at Dynasty Nerds. And um, at the time, actually, my very first article, was all about running back trends and kind of the testing the theory of the two to three year window with running backs as far as longevity of their careers go. It was something that if you listen to Rich, um, if you guys listen to Dynasty Nerds at all, you guys have probably heard Rich, Mm -hmm. Rich talk about that. So that was kind of something that was like my very first kind of put the theory to the test and, and write, write an article about it. And, uh, and then I started writing for him and kind of getting into the Twitter world. And um, it was an actually, I got into an argument with someone on Twitter about Derrick Henry because I thought <laughs> it was, I thought I, my arguments were pretty hollow and, and shallow at the time. And it was about basically his height and how it was just, he's kind of just like this awkward frame. And, at the, uh, you know, that was my argument at the time was that he was tall and awkward. And I, I didn't think he was going to be successful. And um, basically it was like after that argument, I kind of realized like, wow, you know, there's like a whole lot more to evaluating this than I, you know, really know. Like I need to dive into this like a lot deeper and figure this out. So I um, kind of took everything that I knew from from everything I've heard about people saying you should look for in running backs on podcasts, you know, uh, check out their production, look at, 
you know, the, look at their age coming in, their their metrics as far as athleticism goes. Um, you know, I knew from hearing a lot of people talk about draft position. I knew before I even started any of my research that draft position was going to me- mean a lot in evaluating running backs overall. So I kind of set out to build this model that took into account everything, you know, when I'm, let's say I, before I had this model, I would look up a running back and I would, you know, maybe hop on and check out some stats, you know, Google some stats, watch some highlights, watch a couple games or whatever, and kind of have my take on this guy. But I didn't really have anything definitive that I could point to at the end of it and, and have, have results that gave me basically an overall outlook on this guy. So I, I created this model and I'm just going to give you guys the categories that, that it uses and grades these guys on. Um, It's rushing yards, rushing touchdowns, rushing average, uh, receiving yards, receiving touchdown, receiving average, age, height, weight, 40 time, uh, 40 size adjusted, three cone, three cone size adjusted, draft position, landing spot, three down potential, and intangibles. So the breakdown of that kind of varies. Um, obviously, draft position, landing spot, spot plays the biggest role in, um, in everything. Uh, sure. Production plays, specifically rushing production, plays a little bit bigger role than receiving production. But it, I, I broke it down and, and made this scoring system so that I could look at a player overall and say, you know, this is how he evaluates on paper. Look, take, taking in all those things, considering all those things, this is how he looks on paper to me. So, Jacob, let's use uh, some practical application with the information that you just gave us. Uh, that's what we're all about here because we want the listeners to be able to uh, use this themselves when they leave the podcast. So what we're going to do is uh, we're going to mention one perfect fit from the draft, a sneaky good fit that not a lot of people might really think is a good fit or maybe people aren't really mentioning right now, one fit that's just absolute garbage, and then a sneaky bad fit, someone we're kind of comfortable with um, that based on your uh, model probably isn't going to work out. Um, So let's go ahead and get started with your perfect fit. Who do you think fits perfectly with their draft? Well, I, it's funny. It's funny when you say based on my model, because my model gives me an idea and kind of gives highlights of players, red flag or potential red flags and, and maybe potential problem areas. But at the end of the day, it's, it's so hard to say that it's predictive because I don't know that really at the end of the day that it's predictive. So, right, right. <laughs> but anyways, as far as a, a perf, my perfect fit, I have Saquon to the giants because Holy cow. I mean, you got o- OBJ and Saquon and whatever's left of Eli Manning. I think that offense with Pat Shermer coming in, there's going to be lots and lots of opportunities. You know, Shermer, Shermer and the Vikings ran, ran, you know, they had one of the most run heavy offenses in the NFL last year. So if he's going to bring that over to New York, I could just see Saquon getting fed like 300 carries this year. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I want to hate the pick so bad. I really do. I mean, Redskins fandom aside, just Saquon Barkley's been the one one for so long that I just – I wanted a better fit, I felt like. Um, but they did a really good job immediately backing up their pick, unlike the Seahawks, with Will Hernandez in the second round, who a lot of people think was actually the second best guard in the draft. Mm-hmm. Not to mention that they also added Nate Solder in this offseason. So I think that they they really showed their cards this draft in a good way, saying we're still trying to win. Last year was the outlier, not the other way around. Didn't draft Eli's replacement unless you really like Luetta. Um, so – I really think that this is going to be great for Saquon's early production. I'd like to see a little bit more on the offensive line, considering how ridiculously bad they were last season. But if you put Will Hernandez on the same side as Nate Solder, I mean, man, just run to that side. I'm going to throw my perfect fit out there. This is this is the epitome of draft stock means everything, and that's Darius, guys. We, we hit on it before. 
he's still the 102 to a lot of people. I'm not going to say that he's getting dropped from the 102 by a ton of people, but a lot of people aren't really excited about him landing. And I was expecting something to come out that, you know, he committed some sort of crime or pulled a Laramie Tunzel. <laughs> yes, um, yeah. Some sort of picture it, coming out. It didn't. So since nothing came out, let's just look at the Redskins. He was even, he was even freaking out. He was even like freaking out on Twitter like, yeah. Why why are you saying these things about me? You know, don't yeah. don't don't be trolling me like that. Like, yeah, uh, and then he came out and said that the the NFL was asking ridiculous questions and then later he said he lied about that, which of course probably he didn't lie. The NFL probably was asking ridiculous questions. So, based on just the landing spot last season, the Redskins had 11 offensive linemen that played 140 more snaps and that's from PFF. Uh, running backs only averaged 1.29 yards before contact last season due to the horrible offensive line. But the Redskins' offensive line was projected to be above average last season, and they added Jerron Christian, offensive tackle for Lamar Jackson last year. So we've got a little bit of depth there. Um, I really like this spot for Geis. I don't like that he was the eighth running back picked, but it looks like there's a little BS called on the league. So I think that's a great spot for him. And if he was your one Oh two before he's definitely got to be your one Oh two. Now I would agree on, I would agree on that point. I would agree on that point. And I think some of the, let's say like the consternation that folks have with guys at the 1.02 on Twitter right now is because of, you know, you still got, you've got Chris Thompson there. Who is there, you know, who's their pass catching back, so, you know, spending the 1.02 on a running back that's a two-down back, it doesn't seem like, the, you know, the smartest thing to do. Okay, I can, I can buy that. But let's see. Chris Thompson is, what, 28 years old? Coming 27. Up, 27, and it'll be 28 this yep. year. And yep. coming off of a broken fibula. So, Often injured, yep. Yeah. So, I mean, not to say that Chris Thompson, you know, we're not, we don't, you know, we're not 100% sure he's going to start the season on the pup or anything like that, even though it was a relatively late injury. But let's not go ahead and shut the door completely on Geis' uh, you know, ability to be a pass catcher or have a full three down potential. I think it's still there for him. So, True. I, I think that it's justified in taking him at least that high because, I mean, if you look at the guys that are coming up behind him, at the 1.03, the 1.04. I mean, sure, you can make some arguments for. I mean, I know folks like want to put Nick Chubb up there. I, I've you know I've heard the case for it, but still, for for me, I think that you know the the potential is there for you know for guys to take over that that backfield. So I, I like it. I was just gonna say, um, I was running, I was playing around with some initial projections as to how guys would project into that offense, and I have him set with a workhorse role, which would put him in that like 70 I can't I don't know the um exact market share of carries offhand but I want to say he was in like that 70 to 75 percent of the market share of carries for that offense Um, which will put him at two which will put him at about 200 240 carries just shy of a thousand yards maybe six maybe six touchdowns on the ground um but I had him projected for a, a limited pass catching role with um with only like 13 13 receptions and that could grow. I just, I just assume, I just assume that because I haven't seen it with guys in college and Chris Thompson is there. I just assume that he is not going to um, be that guy on third down. I just, that's just my assumption. And until I see different, that's kind of where I'm leaning. Now, Jay Gruden did come out and say, Geis is our one and two guy, Chris Thompson's our three guy, and bye P. Ryan, bye Fat Rob. But I think that <laughs> Darius Geis did a great job in the offseason demonstrating his catching ability because you know he wasn't going to catch passes at LSU. I think what we really need to be concerned with for Geis owners is actually his third down blocking or his pass blocking in general. He's shown he's very willing to pass protect, he hasn't shown that he's very capable of pass protecting. So I think he's got to work on his pass protecting, and I think we're going to get Chris Thompson out of the picture in the next couple of years, and we'll see what we get in the passing role. Um, so our next step is going to be the sneaky good fit. So somebody we're not really talking about or maybe doesn't really have a chance from a, a normal perspective that you like. So my sneaky good fit and all the Kenyon Drake – 
owners were super duper excited, you know, yeah, got out of the first two days of the draft without any competition. And then they bring in Kayleen. I can't even, I don't know how to say Kaylin? it. Just Kaylin. Yeah. Kaylin, Kaylin, Kaylin Balage. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. Um, they bring him in and, and I think it's a sneaky good fit because it's going to be interesting to see how he projects into that offense because he also was, he was a bigger body, but he was a really, really, really good pass catcher. Absolutely. So, mm-hmm. um, I think that both of them have, uh, it's going to be a one, two punch. And I think that I wouldn't be surprised if, if Ballage cut into Drake's PPR value a little bit more than people are thinking. Yeah, absolutely. So Balage has proven to be the guy that you just have to get the ball to. The problem is him getting the ball. He just didn't get didn't get enough touches. And he really. wasn't. And he wasn't very. He wasn't very efficient in the touches. No, he, he wasn't. So, absolutely not. I don't. Again, we're gonna like as as we go later on, we'll talk about like what's actually predictive in this whole model that I have. Um, I need to do more research about it. That's one of my big things that I want to dive into this summer is what stats from these people's college profiles are predictive to the next level. You know, is does yards per carry mean anything? Does it mean anything that he had one of the worst yards per carry? I don't know. I just I don't know what. I'm, that's one. That's my next step right now because um, there's a lot of people I respect that I constantly hear running back metrics aren't predictive. So right, yeah, that's why they come out with uh, yards before potential tackle, or sorry, yards right. after potential tackle points, yes. things like that. Mm-hmm. So from what I've heard from guys much smarter than me, Kalen Balaj actually lost his job due to his production. It looked like he did a lot better in 2016 than 2017. Uh, He's he's a good pass catcher, but from rushing standpoint, he's got 157 attempts in 2017 with only 669, nice six touchdowns. And, I mean, he did average 4.3. That wouldn't be horrible in the NFL, but uh, at the college level, we're talking about guys that are like 7.3, you know. Um, so, Kalen Blagier, I think he's going to touch on the PPR upside. Uh, I think Frank Gore is going to be vulturing touchdowns. I think that Kenyon Drake's going to be the most talented running back in that backfield, and he's probably going to outproduce the other two, and he's probably going to get points vultured from him on a consistent basis. So it's going to be one of those things where he's a better NFL player than he might be for your fantasy team next year. I can agree with both of those takes, and I'm just wondering, just the Miami offense like on the whole, I mean, you still got Tannehill back there, you know, assuming his knee holds up. I mean, when it comes to uh, Miami's offensive line, I mean, they're ranked 30th, like DVOA, and that's just for, for run blocking. Pass blocking, they were, I would say, middle of the road. But Kenyon Drake was still able to show he was fairly efficient, like, behind behind that offensive line. And, you know, if that's the case, I would assume that Drake gets the first crack at it. But like you guys, both of you guys said, if you get the ball in his hands, if you get the ball in Balazs' hands, I think he'll show out enough so that he'll he'll start to ding some of that, uh, you know, some of the upside that you saw with Kenyon Drake. I mean, we saw nothing but volume, and that turned into fantasy points for Drake last year. Absolutely. Now, if, if he's not going to be getting that volume, Frank Gore is going to be getting a few goal line carries. If Balazs is going to, you know, start hopping in on third downs, where's the upside for Drake at that point? And uh, I think in best ball ADP, he's going in like the third, fourth round, like somewhere in that area. I just, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time believing he's going to be able to pay off that draft cost. So I would much rather take some shots at Balage in like the, the, the teens somewhere in there and, you know, and kind of hope for the best. Right. So next we're going to get into the negatives. We started out with the positives. We're going to hit on sneaky bad fits. So somebody that most people are interested, including myself. So I'm excited to hear about this. Jacob, why don't you give us your sneaky bad fit from the draft? So my sneaky bad fit is uh, Kirion Johnson. And I promised my buddy Mike, my buddy, I told my buddy Mike, he's a huge Lions fan. He's like, you're not going to go on and talk about how bad the Lions pick was. <laughs> are you? I was like, no, 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 no. So he'll hear this and he'll laugh because that's funny that I picked him. But I just, I feel like it's Abdullah 2.0. And I and I heard someone else say it too, and I, I can't remember who it was at the time, but that was my immediate 
immediate reaction when I when I saw that pick was like, ooh, he's a lot like Amir Abdullah, uh, you know. And <laughs> Theo Riddick's getting older, so there could potentially be a a role there. There could be some receiving market share to open up in that backfield. If they're willing to phase Abdullah out, I'm not totally sure that they're ready to do that yet. They just brought in LeGarrette Blunt. They don't give a lot of carries to the running backs in general. I just it's a it's just it's just a sneaky dirty fit. <laughs> That's the best yeah. way to put it. Yeah. It's a so this is the only... I don't want anything. I really don't want anything to do with uh, Detroit's running backs for fantasy purposes, especially if I have to spend a first round pick on Carryon Johnson. He's going to be in that Royce Freeman range potentially, and I'd just rather rather have other guys there. So this is going to be the only one we disagree on, and the only reason why is uh, Mir Abdullah. I can see how you would would compare them because of what the Lions tried to make of him. But to be honest, if Amir Abdullah could be somewhere in Theo Riddick's role, instead of Amir Abdullah being forced into the early role and then Theo Riddick being the third down guy, just get Amir Abdullah out of there. Let him be someone's third down back. We might get something out of him. Kirion is like, he reminds me of a coal miner with a lunch pail and just a dirty face. He just gets the job done. There's nothing flashy on film, but that's why I think he might end up being a better NFL back than he was in college because Kirion's doing what a lot of these rookies aren't doing, and he's not going for the big play, which costs you yards sometimes. Uh, I wish I had the stat on hand, but he gets to the line of scrimmage or past it um, on a very consistent basis, and that's what you need in the NFL. That's the guys that get you that third and one. So that's the only reason I like him, but I don't like the money that they gave to LeGarrette Blunt, especially since they're very similar backs. Um, you might have to wait a little bit for that production. Well, and it's interesting that you bring that up because there's something to be said about it happened with it happened with Cleveland and now it happened with Detroit too. You don't know in free agency who you're going to get and who's going to be available in the draft. So you have teams making contingency plans in free agency, bringing in their idea of the best contingency or best backup plan if they can't get their guy in the draft and then something happens and they're able to bring in a guy in the draft and then it's just kind of a muddy mess as to who's going to get the carries. Mm -hmm. And I love that you mentioned that because I see a lot of people's rebuttal to the Nick Chubb, Carlos Hyde situation being uh, Carlos Hyde isn't just a contingency plan. Uh, He is. He was just a very expensive one because the Browns had a historic amount of cap space. And I love Carlos Hyde. He's a great running back. They structured the deal great so that he can get cut next year. You know, everyone's hands are clean. Carlos Hyde gets to go make bank probably again. Um, He will be, I believe, 28 at that point. So that's Mm -hmm. a little iffy. But the team did a great job and not enough people are talking about it that they went, got the best running back off the market, said, we don't need to take Saquon now. So they got their best corner. They got their best quarterback. Still got Nick Chubb in the second running back of their future. Going to go perfect with Duke Johnson. And then they can just say, hey, Carlos, you know, we paid you a lot of money. Um, get some production out of you this year. No no harm, no foul. Next year we'll see Carlos Hyde in free agency again. So uh, I'm really glad you mentioned that one. That wouldn't surprise me like one bit in terms of like the, the way that some of the contracts like work out. <clears throat> I wouldn't be surprised to see Carlos Hyde like yeah you know, hitting free agency next season. But back to Detroit. So quick question. So uh, off the top of you guys' head, who is the highest paid running back on the Detroit Lions? Oh, I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess. Theo. I'm gonna guess it's Legarrette Blunt. It's Theo Riddick. Oh, okay. yes. Okay, interesting. Winner, interesting. isn't that? And, and, that's, and, and you know what? That's the way it should be. That's honestly the way it should be. I feel Agreed. like he. I feel like he's the best one in that in that crew. Mm-hmm. And, and until he goes, until he decides he's going to hang him up, I think he should get he should be featured in that offense. And that's what kind of what makes me worry about Kirion right away. But yeah, and, that's, and that was kind of my and I wrote this up a couple of weeks ago based off of based off of Theo's cap you know cap hit as of right now and bringing in Carrion. 
I mean, and they still have they still have Amir Abdullah there. I mean, all those are let's say capable pass catchers. I mean, is it possible that Theo might be like a post June cut? Because I think, if I'm not mistaken, Ooh. the Lions are you know kind of they're kind of hurting for cash at this point. So I'm wondering. So my you... thing is is that Amir Abdullah needs to be the cut. Um, like Jacob said, uh, Theo is making the money he's supposed to be making. Because if mm-hmm. you think about it, um, you've always wondered. I mean, we had to see Zach Zenner. We saw some Zach Zenner, some Deion Amir. Green, we saw him last year. A brought, bit. Yep, you brought in Legarrett Blunt. So everything ahead of Theoretic has always just been, ugh. But yes. Theoretic just kept his mouth shut, came in the game and caught the ball, got mm-hmm. first down. So he deserves the most money, like Jacob said. And they would be, it'd be a shame to cut because Amir Abdullah should be doing what Theoretic's doing, just not for the Lions because Theoretic's better. Yeah, I would I would 100% agree with you guys. Just looking at it from, you know, a money, you know, from a business standpoint, it would not surprise me to see the Lions just say, "Well, hey, you know, we've got these bigger guys that can, you know, that that they're supposed to be able to pass catch and we're, you know, we're going to try and, you know, take a shot on them, but due to how much money you're worth, uh, you know, catch you later." But it was just to me when I was looking over the I was looking at some of the contracts uh, last month and before, you know, before the draft. And it really surprised me to see that, you know, that's how much Theo is making. But I agree with both of you guys with his with the value that he brings on the field. I I think for, you know, 100 percent, like he should be making that much money. And in the games I saw of Kyrion, he isn't horrible at pass catching. Uh, He doesn't have the softest hands and his route running is pretty subpar. But he is pretty good in open space, so Kirion might be taking some of that workload as well. So, Jacob, we have our last one, and I'm really excited about this one because, honestly, I don't think I did much research on this guy. So, who's your horrible fit? Why is he a horrible fit? So, my horrible fit is mainly horrible because I was really – and I don't want I don't want Arizona Cardinal fans to think that they got a bad player here because they got a really – really good player and I feel like it's a perfect fit for the Cardinals but it's just not I was hoping that Chase Edmonds would get an opportunity to to carve out a role and it looks like he's going to end up playing backup but the guy is he's kind of a little yeah he's he's kind of a David Johnson clone mini hybrid you know he's they're very very Similar in their production profile, small school guys, very very athletic. Um, it's just, yeah, it's it's a it's a bad fit for me because he was one of the guys I was very very high on, higher than a lot of people. I mean, he was grading out, he graded out of my model as my number seven running back, and I really wanted to be able to draft him, and now he's basically off my board in leagues that I don't own David Johnson. Same thing happened. Same thing happened with uh, John Kelly. You know, if you don't own Todd Gurley, John Kelly should probably be off your board. It sucks to say that for those kind of guys who got killed just ending up in positions where they they're going to hold the clipboard and and you know learn from some of the league's best runners, but lim- limited opportunities. You know, not good for me. In my fantasy team, exactly, <laughs> and that's what we care about. And I knew, I knew you were going to bring up John Kelly, and that is awesome. Um, I was thinking the exact same thing. So, I was doing research for this podcast and rereading your article, and I saw Chase Edmonds. And after reading his little segment, I'm thinking, how did, how did I miss him? I need to go back and look Small at some Chase Edmonds stuff, but. Then I was like, wait, where did he land? And then I went, oh, that sucks, you know. And then I did the same thing. I loved Sean Kelly. So um, that's that's great that you brought that up because I wanted to mention in our drafts. So if you're getting to mid to late third uh, and he's still available, what do you think about hitting up that Todd Gurley owner? Because I think it gets a little murky after that mid to late third i mean you're taking darts anyways how do you feel about hitting up the tie girly owner and saying hey man i'm about to take kelly here um would you like to trade for the pick or i'll just take them because i like them for sure that yeah. those are great i love i love those kind of i mean you guys had john bosch on 
last episode to yep. talk about league psychology. I love that sort of stuff, man. Yeah, if you can, if you can, I've had people draft handcuffs right in front of me. I've had people trade up to draft handcuffs. I've tra- drafted handcuffs of other people's teams and traded to them to them later. It's a great, yeah, great strategy. Sometimes you'll get burnt and get stuck with a guy, but if you love the player anyways, in this case, you know, if you love John Kelly anyways, well, it might be worth it to burn a bottom of the roster spot on him anyways. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I was going to mention. If Todd Gurley does go down and you don't want to Todd Gurley, you're getting a great player in John Kelly. So um, I would be totally comfortable you don't even have to go to that owner and uh, really back them into a wall. Just let them know this is a really good backup, and I really liked him going into the draft process. Um, you know, if you don't want to trade for him, you can get – or I can take him. Uh, so, yeah, I like that strategy, and I love the league psychology stuff that we discussed last week for sure. Yeah, 100%. And I think with, with Chase Edmonds, yeah, I would agree with both you guys in saying that you know, if you if you look at if you look at uh, you know Edmonds and his you know some of his metrics, uh, if I I pulled him up, I looked him up in player profile. The guy's comp to Dion Lewis. I mean, you know, so not saying that he's going like to hit you know hit that you know hit that ceiling or hit that type of production, but looking at his metrics and looking at how he performed, I see it. I, I see some of that. I see some of that to his game, and so from an NFL standpoint, this is just a question I was thinking of off the top of my head. Not this year. I think they have enough. The Cardinals have enough in transition right now. But maybe next year. So let's say, let's assume that Bradford makes it through this year. Probably won't. But next year they unleash. They you know they unleash Rosen. They may, they might bring in a couple more wide receivers. But what do you guys think about like a two pronged attack with uh, David Johnson and then Edmonds coming in on like third downs and whatnot? Do you think that's possible to see, you know have them have some more value, or do you think they're just going to stick with riding David Johnson until the wheels fall off? I think that probably they're going to ride David Johnson until the wheels fall off, but I'm not sure how long it is till the wheels fall off. You know, he – I don't know how old David Johnson is now. I know that he was one of the oldest. He's 26. Older, he's 26, mm-hmm. which in my opinion, that's not – I'm not hitting the panic button on a 26-year-old running back by any means. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't want to start worrying about that for a few more years at least. But I – do think that it would make sense to, you know, you don't want to consistently give your running backs 300, you know, 320 carries, touches, whatever a, a year. Those that's how that's how those guys get hurt. Um, whether it's stupid little injuries like a wrist or whatever, you know, it's how those guys get hurt. So yeah, it would make sense that they would want to limit his touches, and there might be some kind of a change of pace role. Um, uh, again, a great situation for a handcuffer and a backup, though. You know, if I own David Johnson in the leagues I do, I'm definitely going to go get Chase Edmonds. You know, he might be a – he might still be a, a high third-round pick for me in those in those leagues. So mm-hmm. That was a great question to ask, Chris. So I've got a few things on that. First, David Johnson came off the best injury that you could possibly have as a running back. He injured his off – wrist but took him out for the whole season i think he might have played the last couple games if they were competing but nonetheless took him out a whole season so to me he's 25 now you know that doesn't add up but i'm just saying that's a whole year of touches that david johnson just you know sat on the bench and just let those legs heal up from the last previous year when he had 20 touchdowns so yeah he's coming in fresh and then the Steelers gave a perfect example of what not to do with their running back by just giving Le'Veon Bell touches on touches on touches. Now he's getting great production, don't get me wrong, but all it's telling us is that they're just waiting to cut ties with him, which is obvious. He's getting franchise tagged again. Um, but you would like to see the Cardinals maybe not do that. Maybe they go the other route and they're actually 
you know, invested in David Johnson in the long term. They're actually serious about, hey, we want you to be an Arizona Cardinal for your whole career instead of the Steelers who are obviously blowing smoke. I mean, they're just going to give Le'Veon 500 touches until they can't franchise tag him anymore, Mm -hmm. and then he's going to go play for the Lions or something. So that's a great point that you bring up. Chase Edmonds is definitely a great little security deposit so that maybe you can limit those touches and keep DJ for his whole career. I think it's possible. I mean, from from a real world NFL standpoint, it almost kind of makes sense that if you know you want to keep your bell cow for as long as possible, and if you don't want to, you know, wind up running him into the ground like the Steelers are doing with Le'Veon Bell, having somebody with you know that's been comp to at least one of the greater change of pace backs in the league, I, I like that idea. So I don't see it happening this year, but I would say it's it's possible. And, and I will add. Roto-Wire's description for Chase Edmonds was, will compete for third down work early. When I first saw that, I thought, there's no way anyone's getting third down work from David Johnson. But the fact that he's competing for third down work early means that he's going to be productive in the passing role that he does get. And that's very exciting for me because that leaves a whole uh, window open for the future limiting a little bit of David Johnson's touches but keeping them longer which is actually great for dynasty owners right and who does he have to beat out who else is on the roster Elijah Penny yep. yeah Penny is second yeah on the roster so I mean I don't know I think the upside is there for him to at least one remain on the roster and two kind of carve out a role because I think him and Penny are just I mean completely different runners so I, I think it's I think it's possible and I think it's something that I think dynasty owners can kind of invest in now, and I think it'll pay dividends like down the line. But uh, all right, so so moving on. I mean, I think that was an excellent discussion. Now, Jacob, specifically for you, I mean, in the research that you've done, have you found any glaring outliers like in your research where you know you've gone through you've gone through the process and the results have you know spit out, and then you're just looking at you're looking at it and saying, well, that that just can't be right. I mean, has has anybody stood out to you that that's kind of fit that mold? So some of the guys of note, players of note that I would have been very, very low on as far as looking at their profiles when they were coming out, um, Devonta Freeman was really, really scored really, really bad. Um, Arian Foster did really, really poor. Um, those Both those guys obviously had phenomenal careers. A guy who I think still has – potential to have a really good career maybe or he could carve out at least high rb2 numbers would be alex collins um he scored really really bad he scored really bad on the model as well so those three guys just unathletic arian foster was so slow coming out it was you know no none of those guys really had the production in college that um made them stand out they were just late bloomers i mean that's just the way the way it is you know (laughs) yeah so a couple of those guys you mentioned devonta freeman and arian foster i want to get into a little more detail with i also have someone to add but we don't even need to talk about alex collins because we know that he uh defied his intangibles that he was lacking because he started river dancing and then he started (laughs) showing uh, some of his teammates how to river dance so that uh, Baltimore team might be pretty nasty this year. But Devonta Freeman and Arian Foster, I don't remember them coming out, but I do wonder if you have anything on Dalvin Cook, who did very poorly at the Combine. I know some people are a little off on him because he did only play, I think, four games, right? Four and a half, maybe. Yeah, uh, I really down. like him. I really like him, but I completely understand others who might not just had a very, very poor combine, but came out and lit it up. Um, I don't know if you see anything in Dalvin Cook that makes him produce despite the intangibles. Actually, it, you know, Dalvin Cook graded out really, really well last year. He, um, wow. he, he did. He, his production all around was phenomenal. I mean, he was, he was a very, 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 very good producer um, on the ground as well as in the air. Um, the 44940 was actually respectable. It's the three cone that Dalvin Cook ran. He ran a 727 three uh, cone. Gotcha. And that's what 
that's what kind of gave him that unathletic stigma. But all things considered, he only scored poorly really in one of those categories. Everything else that I look at, there really wasn't many red flags. So, um, yeah, Dalvin Cook definitely did not score bad on my model. But as far as lacking, I think the question here says, why do I think that these guys were are able to produce – despite lacking intangibles or certain tangibles. It's, you know, I follow, I don't know if you guys follow Peter Howard. If you don't, you, yes. guys, re- yes. you guys really, really should. He's a phenomenal follow. P. Howdy, yeah. yeah. But uh, he, he, I hear him say it all the time, and I want to talk to him about it a little bit more and, and find out kind of why he's so adamant on it. But he's very, very adamant that running back statistics in college are not predictive to the next level. And that's something that really, really intrigues me because I understand that obviously the goal is to build projection model that is predictive, but at the end of the day, it's, it's not, it's not, it's way easier said than done. And it's not even, it might not even be possible with the position like running back. So I think to put these guys in a bubble and just say, oh, because they scored good on my model or because they scored bad on my model, they're going to have good or bad careers. I think that's obviously like the worst thing that I could ever do. So I try not to do that. I have done that in the past and I've fallen a victim to it in the past. But um, I think, yeah, if if I can look at things with a level head, um, there's definitely positives to pull out of, looking at a player's profile statistically and then um, just how the NFL evaluates these guys can tell you so much more. I mean, you could have projected Devonta Freeman into that offense as a big, as a big producer. And, and, and I should have, but I, I didn't know, I don't own Devonta Freeman anywhere. So <laughs> missed out on that one. <laughs> yeah. I think it, I did not see that, you know, historic touchdown run that Freeman went on. I mean, nobody saw that coming. So, I mean, that, that would have been, or to be able to get on, get in on that like prior to, but uh, yeah, that'd be that'd be really interesting to you know, and I would love to hear more about you know you and Peter kind of discussing how relating some of their translating it forward like to the to the pros and seeing how that works out and if there is a way for it to become a little bit more uh, predictive. Uh, so that'll be really interesting to see. So, uh, but before we get you out of here, you mentioned looking at uh, you know college stats and college production. Are there any other resources, like you know, outside of your own evals, you know, that you use in order to in order to take a look at the running back position? Um, obviously, I think ADP in Dynasty is one of the greatest tools that you can use. If you're not looking at ADP, you're not, you know, you're, you're you need to know what the consensus is on these guys. I think that's huge, is to know how the how the how the rest of the industry views them. I'm a huge fan of Graham Barfield and the work work he does with yards created. So um, I would, I would say as far as looking at other people's running back evaluations, um, he's a good one. Adam Spinks is a guy I follow who does a lot of work with um, yards before and after contact as well. So those guys that look at it a little bit different than I do. I mean, I, it's pretty easy for me to, I understand that I'm looking at this from a relatively um, basic snapshot. I mean, these are basic statistics, all basic statistics that I'm looking at. Nothing, no advanced metrics besides my size adjusted metrics I have. Um, so I I try to find as much of that advanced metric stuff as I can. You know, market share. If, if I can find market share in a guy, I like to look at market share, even though I don't incorporate that in my model. Um, yeah, just take advantage of every little thing. Anyone who has a anyone who has a projection model for these rookie running backs, I'm I'm interested in it. Just before you get us out of here, Chris, just want to add a couple things as to so we brought Jacob on because it's simple it's simple things um, that he put together, but that's really all you really need to look at in one snapshot. It was actually very intelligent for you to put this together because you can look at this web chart, which you guys should definitely go check out at dynastyhabar.com. And just seeing the chart, you can see who produced very well in very different places. And I would also like to add that uh, even though I think the NFL is very stupid for letting guys drop so far, just remember (laughs) that 
uh, draft stock does trump all because the teams will be playing, uh, paying those players more money. The teams do have more invested in those players. They could have taken somebody else that early. It's very important for a first-round pick like Penny or Michelle as opposed to um, someone like Bo Scarborough or something. They're not forced to give him the ball. So that's huge as well. But um, before you get us out of here, Chris, I'm just – Really thankful for you coming on, Jacob, and I really like your metric, man. Hey, guys, I can't thank you enough for giving me uh, an opportunity to get on the microphone here and talk because, yeah, I just, I, I've been doing this a little bit more now, talking with people, and it's a whole lot more fun than, than sitting at home writing or crunching numbers by myself. <laughs> okay, exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm 100% with you. As much as I like, you know, digging into spreadsheets, uh, you know, some human interaction every now and again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> my kids running around. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm all for it. So, yeah, before we get you out of here, Jacob, can you let the folks know uh, where they can find you at on Twitter if they want to ask you some questions or where they can find any of your work at? Yeah, um, I'm at FFSkiBum on Twitter. And if you guys want to give me a follow, that'd be awesome. If not, I don't really care too much. But if you're interested in those web charts, uh, there is an article on Dynasty Happy Hour that was pre-draft charts. And then I um, tweeted out post-draft charts for all the guys that were drafted. So if you want to dig through my timeline, those will be there as well if you're interested in those. I'm working on projections. So, yeah, I've got a few things in the pipeline, hopefully to keep me busy with these guys still as we go forward. Excellent. Excellent. Definitely looking forward to it. And I'm sure that I know that I'll be, uh, you know, myself and Adam will be, you know, retweeting anything that you put out and definitely looking forward to some more of those charts. Uh, so Adam, and where can the folks find you at? So you guys can find me at D H H underscore Adam. Uh, this is either our seventh or 42nd episode. So if you guys would like to leave a rate or review, that'd be greatly appreciated. But what we'd really like to hear is just some feedback on Twitter, um, whether you learned something or you'd like to add something, that'd be greatly appreciated. And we also appreciate you listening tonight. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And uh, I mean, as, as you know, I've, I've said in most of these podcasts, I mean, it's been a blast talking with some of the folks we've been able to bring on and it only get better from here. I mean, you know, so the more folks we bring on, like Jacob here tonight, the, you know, the, I think the better that the Dynasty community gets. So appreciate both you guys' time. And you guys, uh, uh, oh, you ahead. guys, sorry to interrupt. You guys should, uh, you guys should get Addison Hayes on here and talk to him about if you want a guy with 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 some cool Dynasty tools. Okay, uh, trust me. Yep. Oh yeah, so, well, Adam. Yeah. Agree. That's get great. Addison, yeah, get Addison Hayes on here. He's a great guy. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to add on. See, that's why we bring folks like you on here. We get some more. We get to bring some more folks on here. So absolutely. So we'll do that. All right. So again, thanks to everybody for listening tonight, and we'll catch you guys next week.